0: We read the word of God together in Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, To give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause, Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of every one that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded, but ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. The text that we consider is verses 7, 8, and 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, it has been said by someone that if you fear the Lord, then you do not fear anything else. But that if you do not fear the Lord, you fear everything else. Solomon says in the chapter that we read that those who do not fear the Lord are going to suffer the coming true of their worst fears, and God will not take pity on them. Verse 24, Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. In other words, because ye did not want the fear of the Lord, verse 26, God says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you. Why? Verse 29. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. But in verse 33, the Lord promises that those who fear him and those who hearken unto his voice shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's the teaching of Solomon in our text. What do you fear, beloved? We all have fears hidden deep inside of us. We don't always express to people what those fears are. Sometimes we don't want people to know what it is we are afraid of. We don't want them to know that we have any fear whatsoever. But we all have fears. Some people fear the unknown, the future. Some fear spirits and demons. Some fear sickness and disease. Some fear failure and loneliness, and loss, and tragedy. Some fear the last enemy. Some fear other men and women in their lives. But regarding all of those fears, the Lord continually comforts us throughout the scriptures and says in countless places, Fear not, O Israel. Fear not, little flock, for I am with you. It is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I have redeemed you. I have sent my son for you. You are mine. You belong to me, and I will never leave you or forsake you. Do not fear what man can do unto you, but fear me. So let's consider together the fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge. First of all, the meaning of this. Secondly, the application. And finally, the encouragement. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, according to our text. What is meant by the fear of the Lord? When we think of fear, we usually think of the emotion. A negative emotion of being afraid, being frightened about something, being scared of something or someone that is able to potentially hurt us or even kill us or make our life very difficult and sorrowful. We are afraid for our own life or the life of our loved ones. Is that the meaning of the word fear in the text? When it speaks of the fear of the Lord. Now we must answer that question very carefully. Because the New Testament warns us very clearly. That those who sin willfully. After receiving the knowledge of the truth. Those who trample underfoot the Son of God. And treat the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing. All that remains for them. According to Hebrews 10, is a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. And the apostle goes on to say, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is, to those who are not in Christ, God is indeed very fearful. And even more so to those who have received some knowledge of the truth. Those who have sat in the church, have heard the preaching of the gospel, have read the scriptures, have come to know the truth of the gospel to some degree or other, but who then forsake it in bitterness and wrath and trample under their feet the Son of God and count his blood that he shed on the cross to be an unholy and despicable thing. They have every reason to fear because God is a righteous and holy God and God will punish sinners who are not in his son Jesus Christ, who do not put their trust in him. God is almighty. He has all power. He is able to punish the sinner. God is holy and righteous. He is just to punish the sinner everlastingly in hell with the torment of the flames of his wrath. There is every reason to be terrified if someone does not belong to Christ. But to those of us who belong to Christ, to those of us who believe in Christ, who have been given to Christ, for whom Christ died on the cross, we have no reason to be afraid of God whatsoever. It's just the opposite. And the reason is that God has sent his son into the world for us. To take upon himself all of that fiery indignation, all of the wrath that we deserve for our sins, and to suffer on the cross the unspeakable agony and anguish that we deserve for our sins, and to suffer it to the very end To descend to the very bottom of the pit of hell and in the darkness of God's wrath to drink the fullness of that cup for you and for me until there is no more wrath left, until he has appeased it all and satisfied completely the justice of God for our salvation. Those of us who belong to him, those of us who believe in him and who trust in him have absolutely no reason To be afraid of God. Because we know that God loves us. We know that God is our Father. We know that God is merciful and gracious toward us. Slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. We know that God wants nothing for us but the absolute best. What is good for us. What serves our salvation. We who are in Christ have no fear of God. In that sense, in 1 John 4, verses 18 through 19, that apostle writes this There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If the fear of the Lord for us Christians does not mean that we are afraid of God, does not mean that we are afraid that God might cast us into hell, then what does it mean? First of all, the fear of the Lord clearly implies that we believe in Him. You cannot fear the Lord if you don't believe in the Lord. It implies that we believe in him, that this God is our God, that this God is the one, only, true God, and that this God is our Savior through Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord implies that we trust in him, not in ourselves, not in our works, and not in anyone else, but we trust in the mercy of God alone to save us from our sins and the punishment we deserve. And in the second place, then, the fear of the Lord means this, that we have a childlike reverence for God, that we have a childlike respect and admiration for God, that we have a consciousness of God in our daily lives, that we are conscious of him, that we are aware of his presence, of his majesty, of his glory, of his power, of his goodness and grace. we are thinking about him, we are aware of him. and we have great reverence and respect. We stand in awe before him, and we're filled with great love for him and the desire to serve him and obey him. Imagine that through those doors, in a few moments, in a few moments, The most powerful men in the world would walk into this room. The rulers of the greatest nations of the world would stroll through that door. The richest businessmen, all the names that we know from the news, would walk through that door and stand up here on the stage before you. What would you feel in the presence of such greatness? you would no doubt stand in awe and amazement, knowing the power that these men represent, knowing the wealth that they represent, knowing that these are the rulers of the world, these are the movers and the shakers, these are the men who cause things to happen. And no doubt you would feel very small and insignificant in comparison to them. How much more so should be our attitude the Lord. We ought to be living our life daily in the consciousness that God is right before us and above us and around us. That's the fear of the Lord. That we are conscious of the presence of the great, majestic, holy God, who is the ruler of the whole universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who is holy and righteous and good who is gracious and merciful and kind to us, who has sent his Son to redeem us, the God who is everywhere present in his power and wisdom, who governs all things, great and small. Do you stand in his presence day by day, in the consciousness of the Lord? That's the fear of the Lord. You stand in awe of him. You have reverence for him respect and admiration vastly greater than any you have for any human being whatsoever, no matter who he might be. And you esteem him worthy of all glory, praise, and honor. We are so apt to give glory to men, to think that men are so great, but we are to give glory to God. We are to fear the Lord. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Fear not those who are able to kill the body, but fear him who is able to kill the body and soul in hell. Fear the God of infinite glory and infinite power who loves you and sent his Son for you. Fear him. Esteem him worthy of glory and obey him. Those who live in the consciousness of God's greatness, and who fear him also desire to live constantly in obedience to his commandments in thankfulness. Every moment we should be able to ask ourselves, we should be able to remind ourselves the Lord is right here, right now, watching me. As I'm watching this program on television, as I'm doing this with my friends, As I'm going to this place, as we're engaging in whatever activities, the Lord is here now watching me. And in that consciousness, we will fear him. We will put off sin and seek to obey his commandments. Psalm 33, verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 96, verse 9, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. That's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge this fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, the one who wrote our text, Solomon, also adds these words. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, and that is meant to form a contrast to the first part of the text. What is a fool? A fool is a man or a woman who does not have in his heart the fear of God. And therefore, he despises wisdom and instruction in his heart. He doesn't care for it. He doesn't want it. He doesn't long after wisdom and instruction. And therefore, he does not even have the beginning of knowledge. A fool is a person who in his heart does not know God. He might have all kinds of knowledge. He might be a genius in engineering, in psychology, in philosophy. He might be a professor, or she might be in the most prestigious universities in the land. They might have gone to school for decades, and they might have a master's degree or a PhD. They might command the respect of hundreds or millions of people. They might be honor students in the best universities. They might be famous politicians or even theologians. But if they don't have the fear of the Lord in their hearts, they are fools. And they don't even have the beginning of knowledge. Not even the beginning. They despise wisdom and instruction, which is found in the Holy Scriptures despising the Holy Scriptures, casting them aside as an old, ancient book of myths. They claim to have all of the knowledge and intelligence and sophistication of the modern world. But yet they say there is no God, or they say there are other gods, or they say I am God, or they worship other human beings as their idol. They lift up other human beings on the pedestal and worship that person as their idol or that person. They're fools. They stand in awe before mankind, the advancements of mankind, the glories of civilization, the glories of technology, the glories of the artist, the musician, the actress. They're fools. They have not yet begun to know anything. What does it mean that they don't yet know anything? If they know all kinds of facts and figures and have all kinds of intelligence, what do we mean that they haven't even begun to know anything? Well, if you don't fear the Lord, then you don't yet know the most basic and important things that there are to know in the whole universe. The most basic thing. The simplest thing. And the most important thing, that this universe was created by the great, glorious God who fills the whole world and upholds it by his hand and governs it by his fingers. They're not conscious of him. They don't think of him. They despise wisdom and instruction. And such were we, by nature, fools. But the child of God, who has been converted, who has been regenerated, in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, and who believes, has the fear of the Lord and the beginning of knowledge, he is wise. And the child of God who fears the Lord has the beginning of all knowledge. The child of God might have never gone to college, he might not have even completed high school. He might not have any fancy degrees or letters behind his name. He might know very little about the world, about how the world works, physics, psychology, politics. But he knows the most basic and important thing, and therefore he already has more than the most intelligent humans on the earth. If he fears the Lord, he has the beginning of all knowledge. He knows the most important thing. This world didn't come into being by itself, but this world was created by an eternal and almighty God. And he is in control of every moment and every event that takes place in my life and throughout the world. He knows why he exists. He doesn't have to sit and ponder and wonder why we humans are here. He knows why he's here, to fear the Lord, to serve the Lord, to glorify God. He knows how sin and death entered the world. He knows who Jesus is and what he did on the cross and how he died and rose again. He knows the way of blessedness and joy in this life. He knows what will happen to him when he dies and he's not afraid. He knows what the future holds, that Jesus is coming on the clouds. He doesn't know everything. He might not know very much, but he knows that. And therefore he has the beginning of all knowledge. And the child of God who fears the Lord, who is conscious of the Lord, praying to him day by day, thinking of him day by day, seeking to obey him in thankfulness, also desires to grow in knowledge The child of God is never content. He wants to grow in knowledge. He wants to continue reading the scriptures. He wants to deepen his understanding of God and his world so that he may praise him even more. If you don't like to grow in knowledge now, I suggest you won't enjoy heaven because when we get to heaven, we will continue to grow in knowledge forever and ever. We will never stop growing in the knowledge of the God whom we fear and love. True knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord. Now Solomon makes an application of that truth. He makes the application to the Christian family. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Now we can note that this text can be applied, first of all, to fathers and mothers. The fathers who give that instruction that is mentioned, and the mothers who lay down that law that is mentioned in the text. Solomon has in mind here a father and mother within Israel, within the church, within the covenant community. A father and mother who themselves have the fear of the Lord and the beginning of knowledge. And that these mothers and fathers will also teach their children the fear of the Lord and give to them the beginning of knowledge as well. Fathers, young fathers, older fathers, we are called to be the heads of our homes. We are placed in our homes as spiritual leaders. That's why fathers are mentioned first. Fathers, we are called to give spiritual instruction to our children in the fear of the Lord and to give them the beginning of the knowledge of God. Mothers, you are called to help your husbands in this great spiritual enterprise. You are called to lay down the law in your home, the good law, the godly law, the good rules that teach your children the fear of the Lord, that teach your children what is and what is not the fear of the Lord, what is and what is not right in God's eyes and pleasing to Him. We parents send our children to school all day long. They get on the bus, or we drop them off, or they drive to school, and we pay for their tuition. And at school, the teachers instruct them in all areas of knowledge. And we pay the teachers to do that. They teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic. But in the Christian school, they also teach them the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Nevertheless, we parents are still and are always the most influential people in the lives of our children. The most influential. And we have the responsibility to give them instruction in the home about what matters most. That's our job, to teach them what matters most. Beginning when they are very little and as they grow up into teenagers and even to adults, we must teach them the truths and laws of God. That begins when they are very little As we gather around the table, and as our little sons and daughters begin to learn words, as soon as they begin to learn words, the process begins. That we begin to teach them the words that matter most, the things that matter most. Where is God? We ask the little child, and we point And show them where God is in heaven and here in my heart. So when they are two or only three years old, we already begin to teach them the fear of the Lord. And as the children grow, every night dad comes home from work and the table is set. And we gather around the table. And the conversation that happens at the table should not be merely about the things of this life. About earthly things and earthly pleasures and treasures, but there ought to be spiritual conversation around the table so that we as fathers and mothers are instructing them in the fear of the Lord, but especially at the close of our meal when we open up our Bibles and Dad reads a passage of Scripture. Dad does not then just close the Bible and put it away, but his calling is instruct. Instruct in the fear of the Lord. Tell your children what the passage means. Start at their little child level and teach them what it means. Teach them about God in that passage. What does this chapter teach us about God? What is it saying to us? What is God promising us? What is God revealing to us? And in all of that, no matter if you're reading in Genesis or Revelation or anywhere in between, You point your little children to Jesus. You point them to the gospel, to their Savior and their salvation. You make plain to them who God is, that he is merciful and gracious to us in Christ. And that as they fear him, they don't have to fear anything else. Little children have all kinds of fears. And as parents, we are to teach them in the fear of the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is We'll take away all those fears one by one. That's family devotions and family worship. That's an opportunity, a precious opportunity. How long do we have the children under our roof? How long before they grow up and move out? That's the time that we have as parents to teach them in the fear of the Lord. And then when we have finished our discussion around the word, then we close the scripture Then we put the Bible away, and because we take it out every day, it never collects dust. And then dad folds his hands and says, now let's all fold our hands together and let's pray. And he leads the family in prayer. And that too teaches the children the fear of the Lord. How does dad talk to God? What does dad have to say to God? Children learn about the fear of the Lord through prayer. And maybe we as a family take time to sing God's praises. And we sing and we worship to him and in that we show them what is most important. This is the life of the Christian home. Fathers and mothers teaching their children. Furthermore, fathers and mothers... We are to teach our children the fear of the Lord and the beginning of knowledge through discipline. The same book of the Bible, Proverbs, has many texts which speak about the calling of parents to discipline. Proverbs 13, verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. We teach our children through discipline, chastening. Now you understand what that discipline is and what it is not. We don't teach our children the fear of the Lord by beating them with the rod. We don't teach them the fear of the Lord by being filled with rage and taking out that rage upon them and abusing them. We teach them something if that's the way we discipline. If our faces get red and we scream at them when we beat them down with words or with a stick, We teach them that God is an abuser. We teach them that God is a tyrant. Because they're going to be taught that God is their father. And if that's how we behave as their father, then they're going to think that's what God is. He's a cruel tyrant. But we don't teach them the fear of the Lord either if we tolerate their sins. If we wink at their sins. If we say, oh, that's okay. And we let them get away with it. We don't discipline them. We spare the rod. Solomon says if you spare it, if you don't use it, then you hate your child. You're not teaching the fear of the Lord. You teach something then, too. You teach your children that God doesn't really care about sin, God just winks at it, He overlooks it. It's not that big of a deal to Him. He's a pretty easygoing God. And in both cases, we're not teaching the fear of the Lord but proper discipline, which means that you have a rod of reproof in your home, some kind of rod or stick or paddle, and that has to be used to discipline the children. And God has given an appropriate place on the child's body on the backside, and that's where that discipline takes place, nowhere else. When our children disobey... When they break God's commandments, when they sin and dishonor mom and dad and don't listen, then they have to be spanked. That means that we take them aside and we do that spanking. We do that in a controlled and careful manner. We make sure that they understand our love for them when we do it. And after it's done, we don't storm out of the room and slam the door behind us and leave them in there crying, but we sit down next to them. We tell them, do you understand why this happened? Why this was done? Do you see what you did that was wrong? And when our children express sorrow and regret, then we tell them, I forgive you, and God forgives you too. That's how we teach the fear of the Lord. Then our children come to learn that God loves them, But God doesn't love their sin. And yet God forgives it. And therefore we ought to fear him. And obey his commandments. The most important way perhaps that we parents are to instruct our children is by our example. We can have family devotions. We can discipline them. But if our example doesn't harmonize with our teaching, then it's all for naught. Brothers and sisters, do you fear the Lord? Do you? Do you fear him in your heart? Are you conscious of the Lord day by day? Are you thinking of him? Are you praying to him? Are you adoring him, worshiping him, obeying his commandments? Are you striving to put away sin out of your life? When you watch the television, what do your children catch you watching on the television? When you decide to have a drink, how many drinks do your children watch you drinking? When you go out and socialize on the weekend, what do your children know about what you're doing? Do you fear the Lord? What do you do on the Lord's Day? Do you consider it the Sabbath day? Do you keep it holy? What do your children observe you doing? and how do they observe you behaving and me? That example is perhaps more powerful than anything else. But Solomon speaks to children, to the little children and to the teenagers and to all of you children who are still living with your parents. He says to you, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Notice three things. First of all, this means that you listen. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for children, to listen, stop talking. Now your father is talking to you or your mother. Do you listen to them when they talk to you? He says, hear the instruction of your father. Hear it. That means that when he decides to tell you something, he says, I'm going to teach you something, I have to talk to you about something, that you stop and you listen. And we don't just listen as if it goes into this ear and then out the other ear. There is such a thing as active listening and passive listening. Listening in which you actually are carefully paying attention and receiving what is being said and the listening that is hearing the sounds and it's reverberating in the ears but it's not sinking into the mind and the heart. He says, hear, listen. That means, too, that when our Father is teaching us, we don't constantly butt in and interrupt him. We don't constantly disagree with him. We don't constantly say that we think we know better than him. We don't get angry with him. We listen. He says, listen to the instruction of your Father In the second place, it means obey your father and mother. In Colossians 3, verse 20, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And that word here in the text also carries the idea of obeying, obeying them. Now we know from the scriptures that we have to obey God rather than men. And if our parents ever would foolishly lead us astray, If our parents would ever teach us or entice us or guide us in a way that God doesn't want us to walk down by their words or example, we ought not to follow that. We ought not to obey that. Then we must obey God rather than men. We will say, too, that if our parents ever abuse us, if they are speaking abusively and beating us, we're not called to obey them in that sense to receive that silently, but then we are to call for help to those who can help us. But in all other areas, when we have a godly father and mother and they teach us and instruct us and show us how we should live and set rules for us, the word of God says, listen and obey. In the third place, specifically it says, forsake not the law of your mother. Not only do we have to respect and honor our fathers, but our mothers. That's in God's law. Mothers have to lay down the law. It speaks of the law of the mother. In the home, the mother lays down that law, and that has to be the good and godly rules from Scripture, applying them to the life of the home. And Solomon says, children, don't forsake her law that is, when she teaches you how to behave in the house, then in your mind you don't throw it away, in your heart. It means that when mom is not around, you don't forsake her law. You keep her law when she's there right in front of you and when she's not in front of you. You keep her laws when you live in the home and when you grow up and move out of the home. Don't forsake it. Now, it's true, when we grow up and move out of the home, mothers have to relinquish much of that. But the good instruction that mothers give in the home when we are little, we must not forsake when we grow older. That means when our mother or father tells us, you're watching too much television, it's time to turn it off. You have to do your homework. Or you play too many video games. I don't think that's good for you. Pick up a good book and read that instead. Or you shouldn't be watching those movies that take God's name in vain and that are full of sexual immorality. Or when our parents warn us about being lazy at work or at school. And they say, you have to work harder. You have to try harder. Or when they warn us about... uh, running with the wrong crowd. Solomon brings that up in the passage in verses 10 and following. If a group of sinful boys or girls says, come, run with us, play with us, he says, don't listen to them. Don't hang out with them. They are up to no good. When our parents warn us about drinking and drugs and sexual immorality, don't forsake the law of your mother and the instruction of your father. When they say, my son, my daughter, you need to marry a fellow Christian, don't forsake the law of your mother, but hear the instruction of your father. Solomon goes on to say this, as an encouragement, they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. Do you know what an ornament of grace is? It's a beautiful crown. Do you know what chains around your neck are? A beautiful and precious necklace. Bedecked with jewels, diamonds, pearls, whatever you can imagine. An ornament of grace and a chain about your neck represents something extremely valuable and precious. And it's also symbolic, a crown and a chain of gold, symbolic of wisdom, honor, victory, joy in the kingdom of God. Now Solomon says, the instruction of your godly father and the law of your godly mother are like a crown on your head and a chain about your neck. Does that sound strange? Don't you want to wear such a crown and such a chain? That's a spiritual crown and a spiritual chain. If you refuse to listen to your father's good instruction, and if you forsake your mother's good law, then what you're forsaking is God himself. Because your parents are teaching you the fear of the Lord. Again, not the bad instruction that we parents sometimes give or the bad example we sometimes set, but the good instruction, the good example. That is an ornament of grace and a precious chain about your neck. If you forsake it, then you take that crown and you throw it away into the mud and you rip that chain off and you throw it into the rubbish heap and you say, I want nothing to do with it. And you become spiritually vile and poor. Then you wear the ugly, dirty, stinking crown of sin and unbelief and foolishness. Solomon says, hear that instruction and forsake not that law. It will be an ornament of grace unto your head. That is, you will be attractive and pleasing to your parents. I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. That's what the parent confesses. You will be attractive and pleasing to your parents, but more importantly, to your Heavenly Father. He makes you attractive. And you become pleasing to him, wise, honorable, joyful, and you walk in the victory of grace. The fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. May the Lord grant it to us. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we give thanks to thee for thy word applied to our hearts. Grant, Father, that we might embrace the fear of Thee in our lives. May we live in the consciousness of Thy presence and Thy holiness and Thy power and Thy love. And may this move us to hate sin and to love righteousness. May we parents set a good example, practice godly discipline, and engage in faithful instruction. And may we, children, listen and obey, and may we enjoy the blessing of thy grace.